So again, we're reading from Acts 2, starting at verse 1, ending at 21. Please stand for the reading of God's word. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard the sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood, before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. You excited today? This strange contraption up here. What's that? Yeah, it's a little frightening. Yeah, it's very clawish in here. We'll, we'll explain. Um, great to see you all. Always good to gather together, to be with one another, to encounter the Lord together. And if you missed last week, we're starting this year with a series on the Holy Spirit. We're talking about who he is and what he does in our lives, what it means to be spirit-filled people, which all Jesus followers are. What does that look like? What should that look like? And so I began last week, I thought it'd be great just to start with one simple idea about the spirit that kind of 
just sets the stage, I think. And the simple idea is this. The, the Holy Spirit has everything to do with Jesus Christ. And so if you get close to the Spirit, if you get filled with the Spirit, you're just going to get closer to Jesus. The, the Spirit is given to us so that we can know Jesus more, more intimately and so that we can become more like Jesus and, and so that we can share Jesus more effectively. So the Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So what I want to do uh, this morning is give a bit of an overview of the Spirit. And then in the coming weeks, we'll look at, each week we'll look at a different role that the Spirit plays in our lives. So today's going to be a bit of an overview. Uh, this is an ambitious project I'm taking on today. I'll just confess it right up front. Um, but the way we're going to do that is we're going to look at some of the images of the Spirit in in the scriptures, specifically four images that we get of the Spirit in this passage. And I thought that would be, be great rather than just talk about, you know, categories or systematic theological ideas, that we would look at these really beautiful images and imagery of the Spirit, what they convey. And the truth is, when, whenever we're talking about God, I mean, God is such a the greatest mystery, right? The, the most profound thing in, in human language is always going to break down when we try to talk about God. And so we almost always have to resort to images and metaphors. And so we're going to look at three or four, four metaphors and what do they convey? And what I'm asking you to do is I'm asking you to bring your imagination this morning. So I don't know if you're tired, I don't know if you're alert, but I want you to bring your imagination. I'm going to appeal to you right brain folks today. So we're going to have um, several different images, um, and there's going to be some audience participation to make these images work today. So I hope you're bringing your A game and your creative uh, imagination to this, all right? I think it's going to be fun. Um, Before I get into the first image, um, let me just mention this I mean, talk about Pentecost, and in some ways it's a tragedy. I'm not going to walk through this passage because it's one of the best passages in Scripture. We're just going to focus on the four images. But let me just make a couple words, uh, make a couple comments about Pentecost. Um, This day, Acts 2, I would say along with the events of Easter week, is the most important day in church history, okay? The singing of the Spirit on God's people. It is really the gospel part two. The gospel part one, God so loved the world that he sent his son, right? And his son came to die for us, to bring forgiveness and then to conquer death and to offer eternal life. That is the gospel part one. The gospel part two, and God so loved the world that he sent his spirit, the spirit of his son, to dwell in his people, to do in us what we can't do for ourselves and to draw us to himself and Jesus do all sorts of things. So this is really very much at the heart of the gospel. Um, this takes place on the, during the Feast of Pentecost, which is about 50 days after Passover. So this is about 50 days after Jesus was raised from the dead. Um, verse 5 tells us because of that feast, there's Jews from every nation that have come to gather. For, these are, this is one of the annual feasts. So all these Jews have come from all over the Roman Empire into Jerusalem to celebrate this feast. It's a, a feast of the harvest. It's, uh, it's celebrating the first fruits of the wheat harvest, among other things things, and so they're all gathered in Jerusalem. Uh, Verse 1 tells us that they were all gathered in one place. Um, I assume the they is certainly the 12 apostles, the the 12 disciples, but I assume the they is also probably about the 100 plus men and women who had followed Jesus down from Galilee, down into Jerusalem, who are there gathered together. And and before Jesus uh, was ascended back to heaven, he told them, um, I want you to remain in the city. And I want you to wait until you're clothed 
from, with power from on high. Wait for my spirit to come. And so that's what they're doing. They're waiting and they're praying. And then something happens, right? I mean, something pretty, pretty crazy happens. They're all filled with the spirit. The spirit of Jesus is poured out of them. And they start speaking tongues, start declaring the wonders of God in these human languages that these people have they grew up knowing. I start speaking Chinese, Mandarin, and I, I didn't know it. And the, the Spirit empowers me to, to preach the wonders of God in a language that I don't know. And so all the people gather like, what is going on here? And some are like, they're drunk. Some are like, no, this is pretty amazing. And Peter stands up, right? And in, in, uh, in verse 7, in verse um, uh, 14, and he says, let me explain what's happening. And let me just tell you the essence. He gives this long sermon that we didn't read all of. The essence, the punchline of the sermon happens in verse 32. He says, let me explain what's happening. Here's what's happening. God raised this Jesus whom you crucified. He raised him to life, and we're all witnesses of it. And now, exalted to the right hand of God, Jesus has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. That's the essence. Jesus was raised, and he's poured out his spirit, and this is what you're seeing right now. In our passage, beginning in verse 17, he quotes from um, the prophet Joel, and the point seems to be, Joel has two points. The main point is, in in the last days, God is going to pour out his spirit on all people, meaning all kinds of people, men and women, servants and masters, every kind of person. In the Old Testament, the spirit was almost always limited to like prophets or priests or kings. The spirit would come on them for particular moments. But Joel prophesied a time when there'd be this great democratization of the spirit. And God would pour out his spirit on all kinds of, all of his people. And Peter's saying, that's what's happening right now. And the other thing about the, the prophecy of Joel is that, and that would, that would come with, in a pretty powerful way with signs and wonders people would prophesy. There'd be some pretty amazing things that would happen because the spirit is wild and powerful. And that's what's happening. And, and really, verse 21 is a great place to end. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And as you read this, the rest of the chapter, you realize many people, 3,000 people that day, called on the name of the Lord and were saved. It's just this epic, beautiful moment in church history. All right, so what I want to do today, I want to look at four images that we see of the Spirit in this passage and just talk about each one of them for a while and, and what that conveys about the Spirit. All right? You got your right brain with you today? Okay. All right, the first image is the image of wind. Look at verse 2. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. The spirit is like wind. And actually, this image of wind is built into the word itself. So if you know the Greek word as pneuma for spirit, the Hebrew word behind that is an even better word. I've taught it to you before. It's the word ruach. I want you to all say that right now. Ruach. You can even hear it, right? Yeah, good. So in English, we have three words. We have a word for wind. We have a word for breath. And we have a word for spirit. In Hebrew, that is all one word. It is the ruach. Ruach is the thing that blows the trees in the afternoon. Okay? 
Ruach is a thing that comes out of our mouths and comes back into our mouths as we breathe. And then Ruach then is the spirit of a person, the spirit of God. So when we think of the spirit, we're thinking of the Ruach. So here's our first, our first audience participation. I want you to try to make your like most ancient, coolest sounding breath. And I'll do it first and then we'll do it together, okay? This is the Ruach of God. All right, you ready? Let's try it. One, two, three. Yes. The Ruach of God. So the Spirit of God, you know the Spirit of God first appears in the second verse in the Bible? Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. Genesis 1, 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And then verse 2 says this, Now the earth was formless and void. In the Hebrew, tohu vavohu, okay, is this, this kind of desert wasteland slash watery chaotic mess. And the verse goes on, and the ruach of God was hovering over the waters, over this chaotic, swirling, disorganized thing. And then in verse 3, God starts breathing words, let there be, and the creative power of God is unleashed in creation, he creates everything that we see, light, darkness, sun, moon, stars, earth, sky, animals, us, everything. The Ruach is hovering, and then, boom, God's power is unleashed. And so I think the, the wind, this, this image of wind, I would, would use it, it, the spirit is the creative power of God, all right? Genesis 2, Garden of Eden. God makes Adam, right, takes this dust, and he forms this lump of dust, clay thing shaped in a human being. And then it says, and God breathed into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living being. So it's just the creative, life-giving power of God. And in Scripture, particularly when you see this, particularly the power of God to do things that human power can't do. When human power and ingenuity and wisdom reaches its limit and is stuck and is lifeless and can't move on, that's when the Ruach of God comes to do what human beings can't do in their own power. Okay, so think about like the, the, the famous Exodus story, the, the, the fleeing of Egypt, right? Moses leads the people out from slavery in Egypt, and they move out into the wilderness, and they're coming up towards the Red Sea. Pharaoh, remember, he changes his mind. He says, no, I'm going to get those people back. The army's coming. They end up stuck at the Red Sea. They turn around. The Egyptians are there, and they're stuck. They're helpless. They're hopeless. And you remember what Moses says? He says, don't be afraid. The Lord will fight for you. You only need to stand still. And then you remember what God does? He sends a ruach. He sends a strong eastern wind overnight. And it blows back the sea. And God makes a way where no human power can make a way. Second Exodus story. In Ezekiel. The nation of Israel again is in exile, this time not in Egypt, but in Babylon, in a foreign place, and they have been conquered, they, have been, they are enslaved, and they are powerless. They cannot change their situation, and they have become spiritually dead. They've wandered from God. They are lifeless. They're, they're, as a nation, their future is hopeless. 
And in the midst of that hopelessness, God gives Ezekiel this amazing vision. He takes him out to this, this desert valley. And in this desert valley, there's all these, it's scattered with bones. Remember this story? This is Ezekiel 37. And God says, these bones are the nation of Israel. They're lifeless, they're hopeless, they're dead. And then God says this, I will send my ruach to breathe on them. And he says, Ezekiel, prophesy to the breath. This is what the sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live in the wind. The ruach of God blows on these bones and they come together and sinew and muscle and tendon and they become this vast army. And God says, I will put my spirit in you and you will live, Israel, and I will settle you back into the land. All that to say, the ruach of God, the spirit of God, is the, crea- the creative power of God to do what human power cannot do. Amen? Okay, so practically in our own lives, before I move to the next image, this is what the Spirit's role is. His role is to bring the power of God into our lives, to transform, to bring life where we can't do it on our own, to do what we can't do for ourselves. Now, the Spirit's great act is the first act in our lives, the act of conversion, to actually bring us to faith. We need the Spirit of God to blow, Jesus says in John 3, the wind to blow. We're like Adam was. We are spiritually dead, spiritually helpless, unable to to fix and change and come to God apart from his ruach breathing into us. And that's what he does. It's his spirit that moves us. Of course, we have a role to play. It's faith, right? But it's his spirit that makes us alive. It actually brings us to Jesus, that converts us. And then every act of true spiritual transformation in our lives beyond conversion takes place by God's spirit as God's power works in us through his spirit. I wish we had time. I would love to just stop right now and just like spend half an hour, just have some people share stories in their spiritual journey, times where we felt stuck, times where we came across something in our lives um, that we couldn't fix. I mean, I can think of multiple times where things were happening in my life, and, I, and, I, and I'm trying to do something and change something and fix something. Finally, I come to this place where it's like, Lord, I can't do it. I can't fix it. I can't, I can't change this anxiety. I can't change this lust in me. I can't change this fear. I, I, I've tried. I've tried to fix Or I can't change this person. I've tried to fix this person. I can't do it, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to stop. Like, I know I can't do it. And I can share multiple stories where I feel like God just stepped into that, and he's like, that is right where I want you, because now you're ready for my ruach to blow and to bring the creative power to do in you and for you and through you what you can't do for yourself. The wind of God, the ruach of God. All right, second image. That's an auditory image. The next two are going to be visual images. Second one is the image of fire. Look at verse 3. So the wind blows, and then these are the disciples of Jesus. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated them and came to rest on each of them. By fire, I I equate that with the purifying presence 
of God. So if the wind is the creative power of God, the fire is the purifying presence of God. And if we were to do a sort of a survey of scripture, you'd see often God's presence is associated with fire, right? So you think of, I mean, the classic one is his calling of Moses in the wilderness, right? Through a burning bush, Moses is out in the wilderness and he sees this bush and it's burning, it's on fire, And the presence of God is there with him in the wilderness. And God says, I want you to take off your sandals because the the ground you're standing on is holy because my presence is here. It comes in this presence of fire. Of course, he guides Israel through the wilderness at night by this pillar of fire. And then when they come to Mount Sinai and he gives them the law, he descends on that mountain in a wild fire, right? There's trumpets and there's smoke is billowing, but there's the, the fiery presence of God. And that fiery presence then in the New Testament comes to be associated with the Holy Spirit, God's presence. So here, of course, you see it as fire. And then I was thinking the last book of the Bible in Revelation, there's this image of the Spirit as fire as as John, the Apostle John, is given a vision into heaven in the Revelation. And he steps into the throne room of heaven and sees God on his throne and this is lightning and all this stuff. And then it says before the throne were the seven torches of God, which is the sevenfold spirit of God. So you, he's in the throne in the presence, and you see these burning seven tor- torches that represent God's spirit, his purifying presence. All right, so this is going to be the weakest possible um, experience of fire. Uh, and I had a lot of other options, um, but I didn't think they met um, fire code in this room, so... I was thinking WD-40, and, you know, I could do something cool with that. But um, so I don't have seven torches here, but we're going to have three uh, torches, mini torches. (laughs) We could do this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm having childhood memories of being in my garage with my dad and getting WD-40 out in a lighter. The, the purifying presence of God. You know, there's something about fire. Um, you know, fire's wild, right? I mean, we've learned that in our, in our state over the last few falls. Um, Australia is experiencing that tragically right now, the, the, the wildness of fire. Um, but, but in the spirit's wild, you know, there's something to that. But I, the, what I want to focus on is this idea, fire is purifying, you think, think about what fire does. Fire does uh, two things. Fire takes things that are um, temporary or superficial and just burns them up, like a newspaper or cardboard or even wood, right? Just burns them up. But the other thing it does is it takes things that are more permanent and more substantive, like metal or like precious metal, like gold, and, and it refines them. It burns away what's superficial. It burns away the impurity so that what is substantive, what is permanent, is, is, remains behind. And that really, that's the Spirit's role in our lives, right? To bring the purifying presence of God uh, into our hearts, to take the things that are superficial and to burn them away so that what is permanent and substance remains. So let's just picture for a moment this, this um, glass jar is like our hearts. If you could see into my heart right now, if I could see into your heart right now, uh, we would see a, uh, a complex marbling of priorities and passions, wouldn't we? I mean, there'd be a hunger for God in there. There would be a desire to follow Christ. Uh, but I'm guessing there'd be a lot of other unhealthy attachments 
in there as well. Um, there'd be attachments to uh, unhealthy, some of these things are all good, but unhealthy attachments to, um, to comforts, uh, unhealthy attachments to other people's approval and praise, unhealthy attachments to, uh, to money, to wealth, and to possessions, um, unhealthy quests for fame in, in this world, or just, just distractions of entertainment and media, all the things that we can just, our, our hearts are so, you know, just a jumbled mess of things. And this is the Spirit's role in our lives, to burn away our unhealthy attachment to those things. To burn those so that, so that what remains is God, <laughs> what is permanent. So that we begin to look at those things, and the Spirit brings what Jesus says. He will bring conviction. He will convict the world. He convicts us of these other things, and to begin to realize, this is, these aren't what I want. I'm, I'm, I'm going after these things, but this is not, this is not it. This is not what I want. God, I want you. Like your, your, in the end, your presence is the thing I crave. And hopefully, as we go on on our journey, and those of you that are farther on in your spiritual journey, you would say, I look back, man, I was so caught up in so many things. And now, truly, like the Lord has refined me. And I want him. I mean, I, I, get, I still fall on these other things, sure. But man, he's, he's, pure, he's purifying me. He's giving me a more single-minded passion. For him, for nothing more than him and nothing less than him. There's all sorts of things that go into that that we'll talk about in this series. But that's this beautiful role of the Spirit. He is the purifying presence of God, purifying our hearts, giving us a more single-minded passion and devotion for our God. Fire. Third one. This will sound strange after talking about fire. The third one is water. And um, a completely different image, and I think a nice compliment to fire, because frankly, I think about the fire image, and there's something a little bit scary about it, isn't there? Like, I don't know if I want to get too close to fire. That's a little too wild. And, and the image of water is uh, much more refreshing, I think much more inviting. But together, they're needed. They're both needed. Now, I have to, I have to confess, uh, this is not an explicit image in this passage. I would call it an implicit image. Um, I shared this, this verse with you earlier. Uh, this is in verse 32. I see it there at the second half of the verse. He has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has, here's the image, the implicit, and has poured out uh, what you now see in here. The Spirit is like water that Jesus is pouring out. In the prophets in the Old Testament, they, they talk about um, the, the, the coming of the Spirit with, and they connect with the sprinkling of, of clean water. John the Baptist, of course, um, connects the Spirit with water baptism. But the passage that I'm thinking primarily of is something that Jesus says. I actually quoted this last week. Um, this is in John's uh, gospel, and I love this image that he gives. It says this, on the, the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, this is a different feast of Israel's history, uh, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And then it goes on to say, by this, he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. So Pentecost is the fulfillment of this. Now let me try to get you into the imagery of this for a second. I love this. So different from fire. So the Feast of Tabernacles was another one of the um, 
annual feasts of the Jews. And it was actually a seven-day feast. So people would come and, and be in Jerusalem for seven days. And it remembered God's provision for Israel in the wilderness. And so the people would live in tabernacles, in tents. They don't camp out in Jerusalem, out on the outskirts in tents, as a memory of when Israel actually lived in tents in the wilderness. And it celebrates God's provision, particularly the provision of manna, and then, of course, the provision of life-giving water in the desert to sustain Israel those 40 years. Uh, Feast of Tabernacles is in early October, so in Israel. So it's after the long summer months, before you get the early rains. So it's like our, you know, our mid-fall, early fall, when the land is just parched and just thirsty for water. And it's this, this reminder of God's life-giving water that he gave Israel in the wilderness. Uh, and every day of this feast, there was a, in the temple, there was a water ceremonial, a ceremony that was performed. Let me just read to you from, from the history of this. On the first morning of the first day of the feast, a procession of priests went down to the pool of Siloam, this is in Jerusalem, to bring up to the temple a golden container of water sufficient to last throughout the seven days of the feast. The water was brought up with great ceremony. Then the priest on duty poured the water out into a basin at the corner of the altar. And then on the last and great day of the feast, the water libation rite reached its climax. The priest circled the altar seven times and then poured out the water with great pomp and ceremony. Right? The promise of, and and it was connected with this promise of life-giving water that Israel would give. So let me give you the image of this one here. All right? So the priest would go down to the pool of Siloam, right? They'd come up, great pomp, and so we probably have incense going. Imagine you guys are singing the halals, you're, you're, you're praising the Lord, and the priest would come up into the altar and pour this life-giving water into this basin. Every day of the feast, this ceremony again, seeing this life-giving water in the middle of the fall, and then on the great last and great day, all this ceremony and the water is poured out. So, Into that context, on the last and great day of the feast, Jesus stands up in the temple court and says, anybody thirsty? Come to me, and I will pour out my spirit and satisfy you, and your your lives will become these wells of living water, which really upset a bunch of people, as you can imagine, because he's basically saying, I am Yahweh who provided water in the desert, and I want to give, of you, give you my spirit. So I, when I think of this, this water, I think of the satisfying refreshment of God to our souls. And that is the role of the spirit as well in our lives, to bring this deep refreshment to our souls. And I don't know how you feel about this, but I would argue that our souls deeply need refreshment. Because all those distractions I mentioned a second ago, all those other attachments, the truth is we go to those things like wells. We go to those things trying to satisfy our souls, but they don't ultimately bring satisfaction. They don't bring lasting fulfillment. They leave us dry spiritually. Busy, (laughs) hurried, restless, but spiritually dry. And I I would be willing to bet that if we were to ask some of you in this room right now, Uh, me at sometimes too. Like, how's your soul? How's it with your soul right now? I'll bet some of you would say, honestly, my soul feels feels pretty dry right now. 
My life is full. My life is super full, but my spirit is dry. And God's spirit is here to bring this life-giving refreshment to our souls, the true water that our souls crave. We'll talk more about this. He brings the joy of the spirit, right? The joy of Jesus is, is given to us by the Spirit so that we could go through life with a kind of joy that is not dependent on circumstances. Um, he gives us the peace of His Spirit, this, this sense of everything's okay. No matter what's going on in my life, I live with this peace that is so refreshing because life is so hurried and crazy, but He brings this refreshing peace. Usually the way the Spirit brings this refreshment is to connect us with the Father, to remind us that the Father is our Abba who loves us. He says, I love you. I'm with you. I'm not going to leave you. And that brings great peace and joy and refreshment in the midst of whatever we're going through. But that is the role of the Spirit, this satisfying refreshment of God. The call is always then to turn from these other reservoirs of water that we constantly go to, instead to come to the stream of living water himself to find refreshment for our souls. All right. So we have, amen, we have wind, fire, water, one more, we're going to do tongues, this image of tongues. Uh, Verse, what does it say? Verse 3, they saw what seemed to be, it's fire, but it's in the shape of tongues. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them, and then all of them were filled with the Spirit and began to speak in other tongues. So I want to talk about this image of tongues and the speaking of tongues. Verse 11, look at verse 11. The, the people on the outskirts tell us what's happening. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues, right? All these languages, preaching the gospel, preaching the wonders of God. All right, so here's your last moment of audience participation. This is an auditory one. We're all going to speak in tongues right now. Here it goes. So I want to get a sense of what this sounded like. Speaking the wonders of God. We want to hear God's people use their tongues to speak the wonders of God. All right? So I'm, I'm gonna, I've written up um, Psalm, what did I put up here? Uh, Psalm 136. All right? So on the count of three, let's read just these first two verses from Psalm 136. One, two, three. Hear the tongues. Give thanks to the Lord. Okay, but that's not quite what it sounded like. So here's what I want you to do now. I'm going to give you a couple more verses from that psalm. Um, If your last name starts with A through L, I want you to read line one. Okay? If your last name starts with M through Z, I want you to read line two. Remember your last name? Got it? Here we go. One, two, three. Go. All right, that's not quite it, though. Let's do one more. Let's do one more, okay? That's good. That's good. All right, if your last name is A through H, I want you to do line one. If your last name is I through P, do line two, and Q through Z, line three, okay? You ready? There's two slides on this one, so keep going. Here we go. One, two, three. I love it. Well done. Right? 
God's people declaring the wonders of God with their tongue. So I would call this one courageous witness to God. That's what the Spirit brings, courageous witness to God. Um, Acts 1.8, of course, this is the, the, the main point of Acts. Jesus says to his followers, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. and You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And the Spirit is given so that they might be those witnesses. And mostly in the book of Acts, when the Spirit fills someone, the very next thing that happens is they start speaking. They start declaring the wonders of God. They start bearing witness to the glory of God in some way. And so you watch this. I mean, that's what the Spirit does with Peter here, right? He just preaches this amazing sermon. You see that with Stephen. You see that um, with Philip. The Spirit comes on people, and they start speaking. You, you watch the Spirit in Acts guiding his followers, prompting them to move towards certain people, giving them eyes to see opportunities, creating circumstances by which they end up in a situation they weren't expecting to be in. And then they're there and available to be God's spirit-empowered witnesses, to bear fruit for his kingdom. And that is the, the final role that I just want to mention this morning, is that the spirit is here to make us courageous witnesses of the good news, to speak the good news and the power of the spirit to those around us. And so we'll be talking about what it means to be filled with the Spirit partly is to, to move through our days at church, at work, at school, at home, in our, with our, what did Brian say, with our baristas, with our uh, stylists, whatever that was, with our eyes and our spirits open. God, what are you up to? What are you wanting me to do? Listening, waiting for those promptings, and being willing to step out and and step into those promptings, not knowing what's going to happen, but knowing that our words aren't really going to be the definitive difference maker, but that God's spirit, as he works in his timing and his ways, is, is going to be the thing that, that's going to draw people to, to understand who, who God is. All right, I think that's enough, don't you? So these images of the spirit, the wind, the creative power of God, fire, the purifying presence of God, water, the satisfying refreshment of God, and then tongues, courageous witness to God. As you think of those, let me just leave you with one simple question, which is this. As you look at your life right now, I want to invite you right now while we're here to identify what is one area of your life. It could be a situation it could be a relationship. It could be some, an internal struggle, a sin. But what is one area in your life where you realize, I can't change and fix this. I can't do what needs to be done here. And maybe you've tried for a long time, and it just doesn't work. And your human power and your human resources have come to an end. And you go, God, I, just, I need your spirit. I need your spirit to... To, to do something. Maybe one of these images, you know, connects with you most. It's like, God, I need your spirit just to blow new life, or I need your spirit to, to purify some things, or I need your spirit to, to refresh where there's dryness, or I need your spirit to, to bring courage. But maybe one of these images hits, hits you. But I want to invite you right now and during this week, what is that thing that you're, you just, you're meant now just to stop and just surrender at open hand and go, God, 
this is your spirit. So I can't do this. So Holy Spirit, I'm just asking you to, to move how you want to move. I can't control what you're going to do. You may not do anything, but I want to just bring this to you and start laying this before you because this isn't working anymore. So I offer this to you. So let's do this. Let's just go to God in prayer right now. And we're going we're gonna to do that. And, um, and then we're going we're, we're gonna to stay in prayer. I want you to just keep your eyes closed. I'm, I'm gonna, the, the team's going to come up, and we'll go straight from prayer into a song, which will be a form of prayer. So let me lead us in prayer. Lord, it's good just to be reminded of your spirit and all the wildness and beauty and refreshment that he offers us. Um, you are so good. And I, we, we offer you our lives right now. And I would invite all of you right now, if, if you're comfortable with this, just to, um, you know, just sit in an open-handed posture. Um, you don't have to do that, but if you're comfortable, just open up your hands in a, a posture of receiving. Lord, we need your spirit every day. We can't live a single day well without your spirit. And so we pray particularly in that, that place in our lives that feels broken or dead or dry or painful or wounded, that place that we can't fix and change and heal. We just say, come, Holy Spirit. Would you come like the wind, like your breath? Would you just breathe? Would you burn would you refresh? Would you empower and give courage, Lord? Let's just take a minute of silence, just a moment of silence, open-handedly, just saying, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, come. We need you. And then we'll actually pray, and we'll, uh, we'll actually sing into this prayer in just a second.